Son of a bitch, I'm sick of these dolphins. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I'm going on an overnight drunk, and in 10 days, I'm going to sit out to find the shark that ate my friend and destroy it. Wow. I'm Shahir Dowd, and that was the worst Bill Murray impersonation ever. It was great. <laughs> Where else can you get an impression like that but the only podcast about movies, specifically the fan-requested film... The Life Aquatic. I apologize. Oh, that's not the full? That's not oh, the full? I apologize. Okay, so there's two apologies due here. Okay, yep. The Start them up. Okay, so the first one was because I got the title wrong. Yep. It's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yep. And the second one was that this film was requested to us almost over a year ago from Ben D on Twitter, and it's taken us a little while to get to it. I apologize for the time in which we are starting to get back into our back catalog, and we do them when we have like Look, little quiet weeks like this. Yeah, we we I moved. It's a new studio. Thank you for being patient. I know it's been over a year. <laughs> I hope we deliver. I hope. And also, also, there's not a lot out this week that's kind of like that kind of got us excited to go. Go to the movies like what was out this week i mean alien covenant is coming out where we are going to review that that is other, true other than that i mean were you gonna were you keen to see diary of a wimpy kid not really no <laughs> everything, no, everything. No, no, no no um king arthur i kind of did want to see king arthur i'm not I gonna lie you did. Uh, no but it, to be fair uh it's guy Ritchie, and i really did like his sherlock holmes adaptation the first one so i was i'm curious okay mildly curious heard mixed reviews um, but uh, if you want to reach out and give us a fan request, just like Ben D did, Ben did it on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. You can also email us at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Go to our website, OnlyMoviePodcast.com, or try... And you know what we really appreciating in the last couple of weeks? What? Is a lot more fan reviews on, oh, on iTunes. You guys uh, are the best. You guys are really great. We really appreciate those, and they help uh, they help spread the word. Please subscribe to the podcast as well. That's yeah. very helpful. Um, ben requested this. Yeah, though. so if you guys request a new film we'll, we'll try to get to it I'll tell you what we're gonna make a pact we'll get to it before a year this one's <laughs> over a year and all the ones previous we can't guarantee that but we will get to your request within one calendar year of when you send it in um, we also had some fun email this week uh, from Red Sharazan, friend of the show, who's oh, been yeah. on our uh, tons one, of them, 100th episode. Yeah, 100th episode. Our also. getting good at video games panel and a Star Wars episode and I a Star Wars episode. I yeah. can't remember which one, but he wanted to point out um, whether. Are, whether we were incorrect about Guardians not existing without Marvel's pre-existing franchises. If anyone uh, hadn't listened to it, please go back and listen to our Guardians of the Galaxy episode. Uh, we talked a little bit in that episode about uh, whether a film like Guardians of the Galaxy could exist uh, completely isolated from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Red would like to point out Edgar Wright's Project Ant-Man, which was started before the Marvel Cinematic Universe took flight and then was kind of dropped as the Marvel Cinematic Universe took, uh, sure. became, took shape and his film didn't quite fit into that universe. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I would listen. Uh, I think Ant-Man is a perfectly serviceable movie. I don't think it's a very exciting movie. I even like that director, Peyton Reed, who did, um, uh, he did a movie with Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. And the movie is escaping me. I feel like it's that thing you do, but it's not, I think it's that. Uh, it's not that, but, uh, we'll come to it. You're saying you liked, you liked Ant-Man fine, but I liked Ant-Man fine, but, but I felt it wasn't particularly exciting. Well, here's the deal. I think what Red's trying to say is um, he's mentioning the Edgar Wright version of the film. Now, I get where he's coming from, and Red, I love you like a brother. Um, <laughs> however, I'm going to actually disagree, and I think the proof is actually in the weird pudding because that movie didn't exist. Ant-Man kind of only existed the way things played out 
as the movie that ties in with the MCU. Now, granted, it was on the slate and Edgar Wright was championing it. And I, you know, I, no, I wish think it what happened. Rich saying is that it, it was in production before the MCU. Oh, began. it 100% was. But what I'm saying is it never came to fruition and therefore cannot be used as an example of a success story outside of the MCU. Right. I, I guess what I think Rid's saying is would we, well, I don't know what Rid's saying. What's Rid saying? Who the hell knows? No, no. Uh, <laughs> I, and I, I get what he's saying. How, I, how something weird could exist outside of things, if even though it's from Marvel I Comics. think also his point is, is um, would, could the MCU like provide, you know, we all agree and understand that Edgar Wright is a seemingly singular artistic director. He's also with, my favorite working director. Yeah. So he's got, uh, uh, you must be excited for baby driver. I am so fucking excited <laughs> for baby driver. Um, uh, he, you know, like it's kind of the, uh, a little bit like the, the James Bond syndrome. So James, the, the broccoli family owns the James Bond rights. Really? Yeah. The family's <laughs> name is broccoli. Yep. That's right. Barbara broccoli. And, no, and, yeah. <laughs> no. Which is kind of sounds like a James Bond villain. Um, it sounds like a, that sounds like a Marvel, like C or D listers mother. <laughs> they all have the double matching letter names. And the, the, the story goes that, uh, Calvin uh, cauliflower, that many people have approached the broccoli family to, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a panicula novel. I'm going to have to double check this just to make sure. I'm make not sure. That right. Make if sure. That right. If this isn't a funny joke, then I don't want to hear it. Um, uh, have approached the broccolis to, um, broccoli. um, to direct James Bond films, um, including uh, at some point Steven Spielberg, at some point Quentin Tarantino, at some point Peter Jackson, and some point um, uh, that other Chris, Christopher Nolan. Oh, really? Yeah, they've all approached and 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 or they've Sell all outs. approached or have talked about <laughs> directing um, the the uh, the James Bond franchise. And the Broccoli's, and it is Barbara Broccoli and Albert R. Broccoli uh, oh, have. Man. I love them already. Uh, from uh, from Long Island. Uh, as it turns out. So nutritious. <laughs> uh, have always said no because they, th- and, and this is not a, um, uh, a slide on them because I actually kind of, I agree, agree with them. I kind of agree with their reasoning, although I think it, it inhibits them in some way. Their reasoning is they don't want the film to become about the director. Yep. They want the film to be about the filmmaker. Of yep. course they went, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. They want that- it to be about Bond. Well, the proof is in the pudding is that the, the, the highest profile artistic, you know, well-seasoned director that they picked arguably made the best James Bond film. And that is Sam Mendes, who directed the second in the, um, no, sorry, the third in the um, uh, Daniel Craig series. Skyfall. Skyfall, yeah, which I arguably is the best Bond film that's ever been made. You know what's interesting? And I, I'll go back and forth on this. I mean, you, mm. you God, they're all so different, especially if you go back to even like the Sean Connery days and whatnot. Mm. Um Hey, Doctor No, man, I, I, I have the I have the box set. I have the whole Blu-ray set. Of Doctor all of No them. is the is considered one of the. I know. Yeah. So so, but uh, I actually think of the Daniel Craig Skyfall's great. Yeah, Skyfall's great. But as a Bond movie, like as a pure what these Bond movies were, Casino Royale. It's Casino Royale, directed by New Zealand, by the way. Yeah, of course, of course, it was. <laughs> yeah. um, who did? Who I think did an excellent job with that movie. It's I, really so good. good. And, and and its its structure and its pacing is so different from sort of normal action movies. I really like it. Martin Campbell is the director in New Zealand. Um, I think the thing that was interesting, you know, the the scene that I remember in Casino, and we veered way off topic from Rids, from Rids comedy. Broccoli. The, uh, the top the the scene that I really love is the train scene where Bond is meeting Eva. Um, 
Eva, uh, who's yep. the actress? I forget her name. Eva Green. Yeah. Um, and it's a long sort of courtship on this Vespa. train. Yeah, Vespa. It's great. It really, really is good. And Martin Campbell had directed, I think he directed Goldeneye as well. So he directed- Did he really? Yeah, he directed a, a previous iteration, which was the more sillier Bonds, and then came on and kind of redid the whole thing. Shout I, out I, to Xena on a top and the N64. That's yeah. just great stuff. Um, so to Red's point, um, I think I, I'm- I would be interested in, I, I, I'm, I'm torn on this because um, the next Thor movie is going to be directed by Taika Waititi. And I think Taika has established himself as a unique voice. And I think in, even in the trailer uh, already, we've seen, kind of seen his stamp on the Thor universe. Hashtag friend from work. Yeah, friend from work. Um, so I'm curious to see how they do with that. I've, I've um, arguably, I think it's a really hard business decision to make. Uh, you know, Kevin Feige has to make with choosing directors for this ongoing television, you know, ongoing yeah. narrative. It's yeah, kind yeah. of like choosing a director for Game of Thrones. Sure. Um, and I can kind of see why Ant-Man would have fallen apart. Um, that's it. I would be more interested in seeing Edgar Wright's Oh, 100%. Man, you know. 100%. There's no question. I, it just sucks that his vision couldn't be sort of matched into the larger vision and uh, not to be confused with vision, the <laughs> character in the MCU. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Red, yeah, uh, thank, you for your, thank you for your email. I'm uh, sorry we kind of veered off. And uh, we also got another request in for Prisoners from uh, Raphael, who's a friend of ours, who, uh, who inspired the final song from Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2. Raphael uh, has got three requests in with us right oh. now. Oh man. So, so uh, do we have to do his new one? Maybe he can choose. We can do, we can do his new one first. We, he can pick his order for yeah, his he's got year the, long. He's got the Noam Chomsky documentary, uh, inequality. F oh no, American Requ uh, Requiem for an American okay. dream. And then he's got inception yep. and then he's got Brrr. prisoners, prisoners, which oh. is a film I talked about in, uh, our Logan. Episode, I keep I thinking, I, and I know it's not this. I keep thinking it's that prison break movie with Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And I know it's not, <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. or breakout or what, I don't know what it was called. Moving on. Though. Yeah. Talking about, now I'm excited to talk about this director. Wes Anderson is someone who's a, is a filmmaker who's, who's really important to me as, as a human being, as a filmmaker myself. Um, I, I, I'll give you my history, uh, which is, and this is a curious one. Well, this is between when you went to raves and were the, auditioning for the Black Ranger. Somewhere between this is where this history is going to fall, right? Exactly within that okay, period, good. actually. Yeah, it was college. And, um, see, I'm learning. <laughs> you're learning my history. And I went on a date to see Rushmore. And, uh, and I think the funny thing about it was I'd seen Rushmore two nights before and I loved it. I thought it was great. I was really excited by it. Um, so I was going on a date with a, with a, with a new acquaintance. Hmm. And, and the thing was, is, you know, like for, for this person going on a date to see a movie meant you were kind of just, you know, fooling around in the back of the theater, you know, like not really watching the movie. And so I picked a movie that I had already seen. Oh, you were that, prepping, you were prepping for the business. But here's the thing. I couldn't stop watching the movie. I just thought it was, it, 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 the movie was so good. And I think she got annoyed with me because I was like just transfixed on the movie. I got to say, uh, I, I, yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had seen previously Bottle Rocket, but Bottle Rocket had come out around the same time as another film called Palookaville, uh, which were two indies about like uh, bumbling uh, bank robbers kind of thing. And so I kind of lumped those two films together. I thought Bottle Rocket was pretty good. Uh, I did really like it more than Palookaville, but um but I didn't really think about it much. Then I saw Rushmore, absolutely loved it, kind of fell head over in heels in love with that movie. I think it's kind of one of my formative, uh, it would be in my top five movies of all time kind of thing. Um, then I saw, you know, then obviously I've seen every movie that, that Wes Anderson has made right. in a the theater. Uh, I still have to see Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's the one that slipped away from me. 
uh, I own that on Blu-ray. Pass and, it along, buddy. And uh, I have to say, okay, so uh, an interesting thing, Ben uh, on Twitter asked us to rank our favorite Wes Anderson movies. So before we go on, how many Wes Anderson movies have you seen? Not uh, not as many, apparently, as you. I see, uh, <laughs> I've seen, uh, let's see, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, this, uh, you know, Live Aquatic. Um, Tannenbaums. Tannenbaums, Royal Tannenbaums. Um, Grand Dar- Budapest. Grand Budapest, Darjeeling. Uh, Darjeeling Unlimited. Have uh, you seen Darjeeling? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, you're only missing Fantastic Mr. Fox then. And, and have you seen Moonrise? One. No, I have not seen Moonrise. So That's the only, one that just, slipped. So yeah. there's only two of them that you've missed. Yeah. Uh, what? How would you rank those movies mm. if you were asked? Because uh, we were asked by Ben to to rank these. I would say. Okay. Hit me. Um, lowest, Darjeeling. Yep. Followed by Grand Budapest. Mm-hmm. Followed by Life Aquatic. Okay. Followed by, actually, you know what? No, I take it back. Sorry. Life Aquatic, this is kind of putting the cart before the horse. It, I think it's my least favorite one. Oh, wow. So instead of uh, Darjeeling, you're Yeah, so it'd go Life Aquatic, Darjeeling. Um, Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest. Uh, Rushmore, Bottle Rocket, Royal Tenenbaums. Tenenbaums your favorite. Yeah. Tenenbaums is a lot of people's favorite. Um, so good. So good. It's very good. It's very good. It's one that didn't really connect with me per se. But well, I You think- must have not grown up rich. Uh, yeah, that's what I did. Grow up rich in New York uh, in a large family. I always wanted to be a Tannenbaum. I did none of those things. <laughs> um, here's how I would. Uh, I'm going to rank them. Then I'm going to reveal Ben's ranking of these. Uh, the I would put for me Rushmore as my number one. Oh, you're going the reverse. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Would you like me to go? No, in? no, no. Whatever. <laughs> Let's just confuse the people more. No, no. You're right. You're right. Uh, although I've even given it away, I'm going to go ahead and do it <laughs> in reverse order. I'm going to go with uh, Darjeeling. Uh, then I would put, mm, it's a tough choice actually between, you didn't do your homework. I didn't do my homework. I'm doing this on the fly. Wow. Ben, I'm doing it live. I'm doing it live. No this, one else is now. Okay. 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 So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Darjeeling. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go Grand Budapest, even though I think it's an excellent movie, which is a strange thing to say. Sure. Sure. Uh, then I'll go Moonrise. Mm-hmm. Then I would go. Uh, Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. Then I would go Tannenbaums. Mm-hmm. Then it's, this is the tricky one. I would go Fox, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore. Okay. Cool. It could, the, those could switch. Uh, the, the top three for me are Rushmore, Bottle Rocket, and Fantastic. You're not good at, you're not good at lists. I'm just saying fa- Fox and Bottle Rocket. You just, you around. never, you're really, you're very noncommittal when it comes to rankings. Yeah. Well, you know, cause it's, I understand. Obvi- it's obviously important that I, that I, that I nail these right down. I, I know. Uh, ben, so Ben, on the other hand, uh, goes in the almost opposite way okay. <laughs> from us. Uh, Ben's least favorite is Moonrise, which kind of aligns with ours. Mm-hmm, you know, sure. we both, yeah. uh, well, you haven't seen Moonrise. Uh, I, I, I don't like it so much. I've never seen it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Royal Tannenbaums. Uh-oh. So he ranked that quite low. That was your number one. Yep. Uh, this is, you're going to, you're going to get a kick. At, oh, am I, I, I apologize. I've been reading these wrong. <laughs> He sent, wanna, the, he sent them in two tweets. So I had to, oh, so, so, so I, I'm, I, old I, man Shahir can't read Twitter. Yeah. 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 So his least favorite is Rushmore. Okay. Which is strange because that's my most favorite. I love it already. His second least favorite is Moonrise. Sure. Royal Tannenbaums. Mm. Fantastic. Mr. Fox, which you have to see. I think you'll love it. Yeah. Bottle Rocket is number four. His number three is Life Aquatic. Okay. Uh-oh. His number two, and this is where I go to Ben. You know what, Ben? I, I, I'm not. I'm not feeling your list here. Is his number two is Darjeeling? Okay. Uh, Grand Budapest is number one. Grand Budapest is number wow. one. Wow. So we have a real weird spectrum between the three of us. Yeah. I wish. Well, I'm sorry, Ben, that you're not here to fucking 
talk about this. It's interesting though, because yeah, I think, you know, Ben's least favorite film is my favorite. His second, uh, his yeah, third he, least favorite third is, is your, yeah, is your my, favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and oddly grand and Darjeeling are, are respectively. So for those of you playing the home game, uh, you will be tested at the end of this. Make sure your Venn, your Venn diagrams are all there and, uh, your serial killer boards are on point. Before we get to the movie, I, he had another question as well, which was, um, since this was Anderson's biggest budget film, why do you think it wasn't too well received by critics? And so I, I actually did a little bit of research on this. I, I, uh, I mean, pretty much I just Googled uh, box office receipts for, for, uh, that is at this by definition, a little bit of research, a little bit of research. Um, and so the adjusted for ticket price inflation, the highest ranking film, uh, the, the most money that uh, Wes Anderson has made, uh, uh, for any of his movies is the Royal Tannenbaum's $80 million. Uh, the li- the least amount is uh, bottle rocket, which is a small indie. Um, Life Aquatic falls in number four. Okay. So it's kind of right in the middle of what he's doing. And I have a theory about why this is the case. And this is, this has obviously been, uh, comes from all our years of expertise of box office analysis and, uh, and analytics for directors. But here's what I think. I think critics love Wes Anderson. People who know, who are filmmakers, who are film buffs, love Wes Anderson. Because yep. Wes Anderson is a filmmaker who knows and understands films. He's also a filmmaker who creates work that is uniquely his own. He is by, by possibly one of the clearest definitions of auteur that you could find. He, he can, makes a distinct film. He Him makes and a, Tarantino. I, I think more so than Tarantino. I like think more so too, but I'm just, I'm trying to find yeah. someone else in that. It's, it's hard. It's hard not to spot the Wes Anderson universe. I think Wes Anderson himself has become the a Wes ver- Anderson cinematic universe. Yeah, the Wes Anderson cinematic universe. Oh man, universe. I can't wait for his Avengers. <laughs> I think this was his Avengers, Life Aquatic, but incidentally. Okay. Um, and, and what I think has happened is if we were to talk about the trajectory of Wes Anderson as a filmmaker, um, Bottle Rocket did gangbusters for him in terms of getting him on the map to make a studio film. Uh, Rushmore uh, was an Indie, but it it again did really well. Like uh, I, you know, it, and it even managed to break out into pop culture. The MTV Movie Awards used the Wiss An- the the Rushmore pl- um, players to put on these like um, fake uh, theater uh, fake movies um, plays before yep, yep, the yep, awards. Yep. You know, so he kind of broke through there. And the Royal Tannenbaums um, uh, was a critical darling. I think I believe it was nominated for an Oscar for best screenplay as well. Um, at that moment. I think distributors who are putting in, you know, upwards of 30, 40 million dollars into his movies, he's that kind of mid-range filmmaker we were talking about a little right. bit, um, are trying to find a way to market him to break out into a bigger, to a bigger audience. Hmm. And The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, oddly, uh, I remember re- reading about him talking about when he was making this movie, it was his attempt at an action adventure movie. Well, his sort of an action adventure movie filtered through his attempt is the wrong word. Yeah, yeah, it's the way he perceives an action adventure movie to go, but it wasn't well that well received, and it wasn't like people were going to see it for the most exciting action adventure in the world. So it was, I think, it was a case of odd marketing with that movie. It, it the film isn't is kind of as far as um, Wes Anderson's critical uh, acclaim goes, it's kind of in the middle of the road. It's not I traditionally, or, you know, I think the Darjeeling limited is kind of seen as the low point for Wes Anderson. Um, and the high point you could argue has happened a few times. People love the Royal Tannenbaums. And recently the Grand Budapest hotel has right. done really, really well. The thing that's difficult with Wes Anderson um, is that he makes film that seem to appeal to a genre. So fantastic. Mr. Fox, you say that's a kid's movie. 
It's a pretty dark kids movie. It's got things in it that you would be kind right, of, right, 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 yeah. you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel seems like a sort of a merchant ivory film, like a, a an older classic, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of thing. But in the in the first 30 seconds, oh, for first 30 minutes, um, you see Ray Fiennes getting a blowjob from an older woman. Spoiler alert. You know what I mean? Like it, it, he's, he's not above, uh, he, he doesn't seem to want to pander to a specific trope or genre style or anything like that. Like he's not just going to make a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. He's not just going to make a, a merchant ivory film. You know, there's going to be some oddness to it The you could even argue that the relationship in Moonrise Kingdom, uh, gets into some sort of murky territory in terms of like, um, well, you could, I didn't see it. All right. Yeah. It, it, it seems to, you know, like it's about these two underage kids running, uh, running off and they, the, the sexual chemistry between them kind of gets a little heated at points and it's like, oh, this is a little dangerous for this. So I think the thing with, the, with Wes Anderson is twofold. One is it's hard to pin him down. And it's hard to market his films, you know, wisely. Like if you're trying to get new people into his films, they're not, you, and like, if I took my mom to see the Grand Budapest Hotel, I think she would be turned off by that, that scene. And, and then, you know, the, the fact that the film gets dark and it's got this sort of odd cinematic trope yeah, yeah, where yeah, they yeah. change film stocks the whole way through and change aspect ratios. It's hard to like get him pinned down. Um, so that would be my reasoning. I, I feel like the, the Wes Anderson action adventure is the reason why Life Aquatic gets a little misaligned and a little bit, it doesn't do that well box office wise. Um, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, okay. So when I first saw this movie back, what, what is it? 2004? 2004, exactly. Um, I was just, I was a senior, I guess, in, in film school, a junior. Um, Wait, you went to film school? Yeah. You went to film school? You've never said this before? What do you mean? You knew that. You never said that. Oh, I'm before. sorry. You just say it every I week. I say it every week. Yeah. I, yeah. Where did you think I went to school? That's that's what you do when you go to film school. You say every week, I went to film school. That's not the, that's, I went to when blue you collar film school, when Fitchburg you, State College, now university. My degree is useless. <laughs> um, no, I went to film school when I was in film school, uh -huh. uh, taking classes about film and television production. Uh <laughs> so funny. Uh, I watched I this went to film school, uh, and I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, okay. what'd you think about it though? What did you, I just enjoy, I enjoyed it. I liked Wes Anderson. I liked the style. I, I remember walking out of the, out of the theater and, but what did you think about it? What do you mean? What did I think about it? Liking a film isn't like thinking about it. That's just saying I saw it. I saw and, it and I didn't hate it. I just liked it. I thought I thought it was quirky and fun, and I thought. I it mean, was, even if you didn't think about it again, that's probably enough to say you you know it didn't make. No, it, it, it had it had no artistic uh, effect on me. Or like for instance, I feel like my so my comedy. I don't know if anyone out there has watched any of my nonsense that I've done, but my comedy is a little more. Um, I guess you'd a little more either stand up or sketch based than Wes Anderson really sort of Wes Anderson is a super dry, like he is dry, but he's not above like no, no, silly no, 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 jokes. no, no, no. Silly jokes is fine. I'm just saying, uh, I, my comic, my comedic senses were already sort of, um, uh, etched in stone at that point, And I wasn't being like swayed, I guess, by at least this, okay. uh, uh, I, again, again, I liked it and yeah. I remember liking it. I, when someone says, Oh, the life aquatic, I think in my brain, I like that movie. Okay. Uh, I just rewatched it for this okay. and, um, let's talk about getting older because <laughs> I, we're all doing it. I sadly, and I'm sorry, Ben, uh, I was bored to fucking tears. Really? To I, tears. I, I I literally paused the movie three different times to see how long was left in it, and I was like, "Fuck, really? 
Like that, and I was, and I felt sheer. I shit you not. I felt so bad, right? Because I know I like this director, and I know I I watched it once before, and I enjoyed it, right? And I'm like, what the fuck? What is wrong with me that I'm not like like that? I'm I'm actively disliking the experience of watching this movie, and it's not like a, a timing thing. I had plenty of time. I I did, you know, it, it was a, a nice evening, and it was fine. And I was like, what is happening to my? even critical sensibilities. And as we go through the film itself, I'll talk about the things that I feel like, uh, don't work. Okay. Uh, well, along with the that. things that I mean, work. Let's, let's do that. Let's like explain to me why you got bored. Um, so I, and, and no side note. So let me just right, right before I sort of do that. So then I was like, well, hold on. I like Wes Anderson, right? Right. 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 Like, what, do you like the Grand Budapest Hotel? No, I like it fine, but I, I remember liking it okay, but like now I think I liked it better than this. But but this is the thing. Royal Tenenbaums, that's what I go back to. Royal Tenenbaums, I had that the second it came out on DVD. I've watched that movie probably 30, 30 40 times. Okay. okay? Uh, now, after this, mm-hmm. I'm terrified to go watch it again because, <laughs> because I have a great memory of it a lot. Uh, and... And I thought, I mean, granted, I didn't, I wasn't as involved with this film, but I, I, I'm, I'm shocked to see how my tastes have changed or, 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 or. Do you think your tastes have changed or your attention span has changed? Um, I would honestly argue taste. Okay. Um, and I, I get where you're kind of going. I know I've been shitting on you for long documentaries <laughs> and like all that stuff. But like, if a movie grabs me, a movie grabs me. Like there's, there's no question. Like for instance, again, it's a different genre. I understand, but like Watchmen extended cut, mm-hmm. I am there start to finish. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. And, and there's no attacking taste, by the way, if you're not into it. But I, I guess what I'm getting at is I want to figure out, I want to get into the detail. I don't want to just say, I like it. I want to say, I, engaged with it because of this and this part didn't engage with me. So, so nothing really engaged with me. I thought, I thought it was okay. Characters, right? Mm -hmm. The characters are all fun. I liked most of the care. And no, no, I'll even go as far as I did not dislike any of the characters. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, they all served their purpose. They all felt very Wes Anderson. Um, some of them were standouts, obviously, um, Willem Dafoe, Okay, was as, uh, was great. As Klaus, as Klaus, yeah. Um, Bill Murray's obviously magic. Um, but what did you? I mean, okay. So Bill, I, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. I just want to, I want to try and get to the sure. heart of this. So Bill Murray uh, as Steve Zissou is playing a, a character type that is very prevalent in all, in all of Wes Anderson's movies. The grown, the overgrown man child who can't quite accept, uh, uh, who can't, who who hasn't quite grown into his skin. He's, he's childish at heart. Um, this is a character we've seen in the Royal Tannenbaums. Yep. It's a character we see in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, we see it in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yep. Um, Bill Murray, the class. The Steve Zissou is the classic archetype, uh, a grown man based on Jacques Cousteau, uh, who uh, still lives like a child, doesn't want to accept the fact that he's a father, doesn't want to accept the fact that uh, he is he's older. He's, he's getting older. I think it, you, the, the classic line in the film is we'll show them the reality. Um a washed up old man with no friends, no distribution deal, wife on the rocks, people laughing at him, feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that character? Uh, I guess the thing is mm-hmm. other than the comedy bits, the parts that I thought funny, mm-hmm. I don't care anymore. Like I remember caring. I remember sort of even in, in films in film school, mm-hmm. uh, like thinking about it, breaking them down, 
uh, sort of like going into the bits and pieces and like sort of evaluating like what is comedy versus tragedy versus real life and all that jazz. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, here I was just like, okay, are you going to get to the, are you going to get to the damn shark? Like, I understand that there's things to do and I understand it's this sort of version quote of an action movie, sort of, um, I just, I feel like, and I don't, I honestly believe that this is not because I've seen the film. I feel like never did I wonder what was going to happen. Like in a weird way, like watching it, I honestly, because I'd only seen it once, I didn't remember what happened. Like I, I, I truly believe this. I didn't remember what happened with the shark at the end. Okay, you don't remember the the final scene. I didn't remember the final scene. Okay, um, so but I knew based (laughs) on watching this thing, yeah, maybe based on Wes Anderson precedent or you know whatever it was, exactly how the movie was going to end, which is fine. That's not a. I've talked about it before. Surprise is not a prerequisite for enjoyment. Okay, and obviously it's not if you've seen the film before. So, um, so that didn't grab me. Yeah. What about the relationship between Wes between Steve Zissou and his son? His non-son, you mean? He's not, his, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, uh, it just felt. Uh, I don't know. I, I I can't. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of more adjectives other than boring. Okay. Uh, he shows up. Yeah. He funds the dive or the, whatever the hell it's going to do, and then he wants to sort of become you know a member of the Zisu team slash family. Yeah. And everyone is so. <sighs> everyone's so indifferent with the exception of maybe Klaus and, yeah. and, uh, and uh, Angelica Houston. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, Eleanor. Yeah. Everyone's so indifferent <laughs> to everything that whenever anything happens, I don't care. Right. But and this is the kind of motive. Uh, look, and again, I'm not but, attacking your, and this is uh, the difference. I feel like yeah. between Royal Tenenbaums and this, okay. Royal Tenenbaums is 80% that, but then you get that moment, that sort of breaking point of like actual emotion coming through from most of the characters. Are you talking about the, the infamous, scene a couple, a couple different own, scenes. Uh, the Luke Wilson's, uh, demise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of them. Yeah. So, but, but then, uh, this one, I, I didn't feel that from anybody, even, even so again, we're getting into spoilers. So whatever we, this movie's yeah, 13 years old. Uh, when, when uh, Ned or, or Kingsley, however you want yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, to call him, uh, when he dies mm-hmm. unceremoniously, I yeah. mean, they have a funeral, but yeah. he dies very, Sit very beautifully to uh, a song by the zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 God, I didn't care. Okay. I, it, it's, I, I don't not nothing that they did or didn't do pulled at me one way or the other. It was so baseline for me. Yeah. Um, I know it makes it sound like I'm dead inside, but <laughs> a little bit. I, I, no, no, look, I don't. I, so I've been putting you on the spot and the reason I want to put you on the spot is I, 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 I have a thing personally about like, uh, in critical film studies, I, I just don't think, you know, in, in being critical about films, I don't like it when we just say I like something or I don't like something. I think we should explain as, as reviewers, we should explain what, you know, how we engage with the film and why something worked and didn't work for us. Um, For me, it's interesting because I actually partially agree with you. I felt that the first half of this movie, having seen it many times, I think flounders in its trajectory. I think think (laughs) flounders flounders in its trajectory. Good, cool. Yeah, good word. Um, And it comes uh, here. Here's where it comes from for for me. Um, Again, and I'm going to I'm going to use Wes Anderson as a filmmaker, as his overall arc to discuss why I think that is. 
Wes Anderson started out telling real human stories that had kind of a cinematic quirk to them, and that's Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Um, around the time he, you know, so the, so the, the, the film was driven by real human yep, players. Yep, I think I know where you're going. Uh, and around the time of Bottle Rock, uh, around the time of Royal Tannenbaums, um, Wes Anderson was able to expand his ability to create beautifully designed worlds. And that's, that's where that begins. Where, uh, the Royal Tannenbaums is a beautifully designed alternate New York that we've seen. But I think it's a nice mix of the two. It's a nice mix of the two. I, I, I kind of felt a little flat on the Royal Tannenbaums, but it is a very, very good movie. The Life Aquatic, the, the, then there becomes a series of, um, I think it's actually just two films. Um, and, and this is a point at which where the critical reception of Wes Anderson's work starts to fall away. And that is um, The Life Aquatic and The Darjeeling Limited. And in both of those cases of films, it, it, it seems to be that Wes Anderson gets much more invested in production design than he does in the emotional weight of the story yep. he's telling. Yep. Um, you and, lose the you lose the humanity part of it for the weird art part of it, which in, in turn would say his own specific individual humanity as opposed to the characters. But yeah, there's a there's a there, I mean, I think it's a delight like uh, when Steve Zissou is describing his, let me tell me about my boat. It's delightful, you know, and there's a, there's these like wonderful little side quirk stories about this boat. Um, this is also the first screenplay that he wrote with Noah Baumbach, by the way, who uh, went on to direct uh, Francis Ha, um, Margaret the Wedding, um, Greenberg and uh, many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there might be that, that you know, like uh, his co-writer had previously been Owen Wilson, who worked with him on Royal Tannenbaums and Rushmore and Bottle Rocket. And then this was the first film with Noah Baumbach. And I think this is the point at which um, Wes Anderson becomes more interested in production design. So I think that the first half of this film is delightfully quirky. It's delightfully, uh, be- you know, it's, it's all about the design, but it's hard to get engaged with, uh, Angelica Houston's Eleanor, who is, who has, um, kind of resigned herself to accepting Steve Zissou's kind of inability, you know, grown man child kind of ways. Um, it's hard to get engaged with the fact that Ned Plimpton always want, you know, like wants to be part of team Zissou. You know, it's hard to see the appeal of it when, uh, Zissou is kind of just a, uh, an odd jerk with cool accoutrements, you know, yeah. like the shoes, the clothes, the red hat, the cool boat. The island. Kind of, yeah, the island, all that sort of stuff. I think the film actually does take a remarkable turn towards the back half of it. Um, I really, I think the moment at which um, Wes Anderson kind of makes this his attempt at an action-adventure film, I actually love it. I think I think um, the rescue on Ping Island is just amazing. The the pirate uh, attack is incredible. The death of Ned Plipton is is beautifully haunting. Um, what? Yeah, I I really am a hundred percent engaged in those moments because I feel like the the hints of the Wes Anderson that was true of Rushmore and the Royal Tannenbaums is still there. Um, and and the ending with the sighting of the jaguar shark is astoundingly beautiful sit sit uh, beautifully to Sigur Ross's uh, fil- uh, song Starfla which I'm gonna mispronounce that moment when we see the tiger shark and 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 Zisu weeps we're reminded of his humanity we're also reminded kind of briefly of of something that Wes Anderson is really great at if you look at the final shot of Bottle Rocket the final shot of Rushmore the final shot of Royal Tannenbaums is he is playing in a world where he loves his, these characters. He loves these characters. He's not making fun of them. And that moment where, you know, Steve Zissou has kind of been a joke the entire movie and everyone puts their, shul- their hands on his shoulders is lovely. I, I think it's a lovely moment. And it, and the shark works for me as a metaphor for that thing that he's lost, which is, 
he's been pining over the death of his best friend Esteban, who's who's been missing the entire film. Yeah, I just think that the first half of the film doesn't quite tie us into that moment as strongly as it could because we're veering into this sort of production designy world. Um, I think a better example of this is uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is a much better structured movie that starts with a key understanding of what's wrong with Mr. Fox and gets us away from it towards the end. Here's what I'm thinking I had for an experience. Okay. Um, Because I'm kind of breaking it sort of down now in my head. So I started watching it having in my head, I like this movie. Mm -hmm. And then I was watching it and then I was like, oh, I'm not liking this. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, hold on. I'm like, oh, I'm just not, I'm just not liking it. And then I think as I was watching it, I wasn't really thinking sort of critically, critically about it. I was thinking, why don't I like this? That's, that's thinking critically. Uh, no, but no, but like, as opposed to, I used to like this, right. I, I'm not, I, I guess this is the reason I'm thinking critically about my thought process as opposed to the like film. the, the film itself. Cause the film hasn't changed. All that's changed is, your is me. Part. Yeah. Um, and although if you look at the decorations of my apartment, no. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the truth of it was, I logically thinking about these things, these moments that you're talking about, like a hundred percent, like that all checks out. It yeah. all uh, makes total sense. The shark is a representation of that. That he's what he's lost in either, you know, his life because he was a dick or you're getting older or his best friend or like all that stuff. Uh, it just didn't grab me enough to care. Like if you show me that one scene, yes, I can see it's beautiful and I understand it, but yeah. you know, whatever. But like, that's almost like, uh, you know, you, you get the, the most beautiful firework, uh, right. But you decide to, uh, soak it in gasoline first and then it just doesn't go off and have the right color spectrum that you're trying to get to. Like I'm from New Hampshire. We have fireworks. Just leave it alone. Drenched in gasoline. You can fuck up a firework if you drench it in gasoline. I don't Uh, know who would think to do that, but sure. Listen, (laughs) we lived in the woods. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I really break it down to, I think my sensibilities have changed, sure. uh, but that does, it makes me scared. Like I want, here's what I'm going to do. I okay. tell you right now, I've already made out a plan. Okay. I'm going to watch fantastic Mr. Fox because I this hear wonderful like, things. Uh, Dignan's 30 year plan and yeah. the bottle rocket. I have a feel. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like then I will feel good enough to rewatch and safe enough to rewatch the Royal Tenenbaums. Because if I watch Royal Tenenbaums and I have this feeling, I'm going to have to seriously reflect on my life because it was such a, that to me was a formulative film. Sure. Um, So I I would personally, so I don't connect very much to the Royal Tenenbaums. I think the reason I don't connect to the Royal Tenenbaums is that it's a, uh, it's a larger spectrum of characters that he's trying to deal with. And, and he's trying to give every one of them an emotionally resonant moment and not all of them land for me. So as much as gotcha. uh, Luke Wilson's demise, uh, sit beautifully to Elliot Smith's needle in the hay uh, is such a strange moment for a, for a Wes Anderson movie. And I think, you know, it's that, it's that ex- explanation of the, the darkness that he's willing to, to inject into sure. this film. Yeah. It doesn't quite resonate for me. And same with Ben Stiller's uh, It's Been a Rough Year in Royal Tannenbaums. Mm-hmm. If you can guess, I've seen all his movies many times yes. and I, I'm very passionate about his movies. But I do agree. There is a point at which his movies, uh, and I think there was a point where even critically people became tired of his movies. You know, people became. Because as we were saying, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the flip side of being an auteur director 
is your shit's going to start feeling the same. Like if you truly are and you make as many movies as, as quickly as sort of he did. And that not to say it was, and quick, he's a but, young filmmaker. Yeah, as well. yeah. He's only like 50 years old. I know, now. But, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, people are going to get it. And people get burnt out on anything. Yeah, there's a sense that, uh, you know, like I was actually, uh, I'm in production on something right now and I was talking to uh, my DP about this and we were talking about, uh, uh, w- you know, could Wes Anderson make a horror movie? Could Wes Anderson make uh, a film completely out of the zone of what he's used to? I firmly believe, because it's very clear to me that Wes Anderson is a person who knows and understands cinema. I firmly believe he could make any kind of film he wanted to, but for, for whatever reason, but for him to enjoy it, it would have to have his flair to it. It's gotta be. And, and the thing, uh, the thing that's become evident, uh, through Budapest, fantastic, Mr. Fox moonrise is that there is a level of precision, uh, to what he does now. And, and it goes through a number of things. It's not just the production design. It's the way he moves the camera. It's the cutting, the way he cuts the, 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 um, efficacy with which he introduces characters, sure. multiple characters now has become such a, uh, a fine precision for him that he's almost kind of slipping into arguably a kind of mode that Woody Allen has enjoyed in the last 20 years, which is that he can just go off and make his movies and they are his movies. Um, you know, it's a, the, the story changes, but ultimately it's the same movie over and over and over again. Ah, the Michael Bay syndrome. Yes, you could argue there is a line between Wes Anderson and Michael Bay. Um, this is the only one. <laughs> this, I, well, we I know, found I, it. I actually, I'm, I, we have a we have an interesting guest coming up, uh, hopefully to discuss Michael Bay at some point that I'm really excited about. Uh, Michael Bay, the auteur. Um, oh, is Michael Bay coming on? Did you get him? Yeah, I got Michael. Oh, Bay. good, good, yeah, good. He yeah. and I have to have some words. Yeah, well, it's, you know, we, could, we he was doing his press tour for the Transformers oh, movie, the last night. Yeah, the last. Please let it be the last night. I think he's planning some more. Anyway. Uh, um, But, you know, the thing that I think I've started to, like, again, Fantastic Mr. Fox was the perfect summation of that production design that Wes Anderson is really good at, coupled with the emotional storytelling that, that, he always reaches for. I never feel like he's never going for that. And unfortunately, in the case of Life Aquatic, Darjeeling, um, for me, a little bit in Royal Tannenbaum's, that part doesn't quite land, though I think for me, uh, oddly, the Life Aquatic has the best landing. It just has the least setup. It yeah, has, yeah that's kind of like what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the least comfortable um, setup that I like. I re- see. I mean, because you were kind of saying that you didn't enjoy Ned. Pl- oh, you didn't think Ned Plimpton's death uh, resonated with you. I think here's here's another thing too. I think. Mm-hmm. Ah, no, that's not true. Well, maybe it's true. It depends if I still like Royal Tenenbaums. If you say it, it's true. Oh, wow. Uh, I have the powers of Spider-Man. I mean, I... Yay! If I Uh, turn my head upside down and you crawl, it looks like you're you're crawling on the side. All right, I win. Uh, No, so is the sensibility of this, and I guess it's not, maybe for me, but is it a young, is it a young man's game? These Wes Anderson movies? Mm, no, because I think the thing about grand Budapest is the reason why grand Budapest is successful is they found the audience that loves Wes Anderson movies, which is an older. Yeah. Older, yeah. Yeah. Older yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and here's, yeah. The other, here's the other thing about uh, the thing about uh, life aquatic is remember, this is an action adventure, uh, action adventure film where your main hero is like in his sixties. But it's not though. You know, I know we've, we've been using it and we've sort of think, but it's a hundred percent. It's, it's the same. It's an action. Adv- here's the, here's the way just I would because use- Bill Murray runs at things and shoots a gun doesn't make it an action movie. 
Why? Why is it not an action movie? Because action. Well, I I okay. always say action movies. The focus of it is the action. The right. focus of this is not the action. The focus of this is is, and I would argue, not even specific characters, but the world that Wes Anderson is building, and then he just throws in random action things to make it feel like. Would a you argue work. that Rushmore is not an action film? Yeah. Would you argue then that by contrast, Life Aquatic is an action film? Life Aquatic has an action scene or two. I would not ever call Life Aquatic an action movie. I'd call it an action adventure. I call it an adventure. I mean, because I'm even looking at looking at like video game. <laughs> but terms. here's the spectrum that I like. Would, that, th- that's the thing. Like, there's tons of games that I wouldn't consider an action game where you still do a lot of jumping and pitfalling and maybe even fire a gun. In terms of like looking at the Wes Anderson style. Um, I think there's a couple of things that are interesting here. Um, Rushmore is the most autobiographical film that Wes Anderson has ever made. It yep. is a film about uh, a young man uh, who writes plays in a in a prep high school. Um, in fact, there is a line in Rushmore um, that is in a book uh, that's stolen from Jacques Cousteau. Uh, it's uh, I'm go- uh, when one man, for whatever reason, has the opportunity to lead an extraordinary life, he has no right to keep it to himself. Jacques Cousteau. And that is a, a line written by Edward Appleby, the deceased husband of uh, Mrs. Cross, who uh, Max Fisher is in love with. And he is haunted by this quote because it uh, reminds him of, uh, I think, the way Mac, uh, Miss Cross describes him as uh, a man with more life in one little finger than than uh, Herman Bloom has in his old right. body. Um, so I love uh, I love that there's this connection between this and that. What I, what's interesting is I think Life Aquatic is an action movie in the way that Max Fisher would direct it, who directed Scarface in Rushmore. So remember in, in Rushmore, um, Max Fisher puts on all these plays yeah, and he puts on a play version of, um, of Scarface. Yes. And he also puts on a play version of, uh, the Godfather at some point. I think the life aquatic is kind of an action adventure put on by Max Fisher. So that's why that, 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 that action shootout that you're talking about has this odd comedic theatricality to it. Like, like Zisu, Zisu runs out and shoots, but it's kind of silly. There's like 10, 10 men firing at him and it's kind of, it's silly. It's staged. It looks a little bit like the naked guy. I just still don't think that. And while I agree with the, the premise of what you're saying, right. I still don't think it, that premise makes this an action. I'm movie. Just, I guess the only reason I would I'm talking take, semantics too. Yeah, but. I, I would take umbrage with that is that because it seems like the definition of what you're saying would be that if the action was more exciting, or if the action... No, okay, let's put it this way. I'll, <laughs> and I'll even break it out into cold, hard numbers, at least how it goes in my mind. If 50% of the film is action scenes, it's an action movie. There's maybe 25% of this film has action scenes. Therefore, in my head, it's not an action movie. There's not enough action per minute. And what, quote, what, what's unquote. your definition of action, by the way? Uh, let's see. Characters in um, sort of exciting situations where things are moving either very quickly or very tensely. Um, now, there's a lot of slowness to this movie okay no but i guess i guess the thing is is like could could a drama be action if there's a lot of tension and and no one fires a gun and no one kind of like runs in a room but like people are like really tense uh no it's more of a drama because because for example uh and the reason i bring this up is noah bombach who's a writer director i really like who wrote this film uh does a film called margo at the wedding which is which i've always been curious about because it feels like a drama done as an action movie it's it's it moves with a fervor that I can't quite describe. And he treats, he treats drama as though it's action. Um, so I think I, 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 
I think the definition, the boundaries of the definition you're saying you are, are a little more fluid than you're suggesting. It feels like to me what you're saying is because, because for example, here's the, here's an, here's an example. Do you think face well, off face off sure. for example, is, is an action movie, but the heart of it is about an identity crisis between these two men. Sure. Right? It's an action movie that has something extra to say. So, but to you, the genre comes first before the story for face off. Yeah. Okay. Okay, see, that's where I, I, I think I... Look, I, this, is, this is... Okay, I'm going... Again, I'm coming this from a cold sort of sort of fact-based thing. Nowhere did anyone, you know, see The Life Aquatic or plan The Life Aquatic and be like, this is an action movie. No one said that. It could be... It Wes could Anderson be, said that. He, he literally said that. What, no, that wasn't the exact quote. He said, he said something... He said, this is my, my version of an action-adventure movie. That's, yeah. that's literally what he said about this movie. Then it, but it still then does not make the the cut in my brain and not that it matters. I mean, you're saying that it doesn't match the definition of action adventure to you. I, but I could say that this podcast is an action adventure. I could say I broke it out to make this my action adventure podcast. That doesn't make it an action adventure. Now you're being facetious. I'm saying you, you don't think that this is an act. I mean, th- th- and, and, th- and when I say you're being facetious is like, this is a movie with a rescue scene in it. This is a movie with an under underwater action sequence in it. And I'm saying it's not hard to stretch the, dif- you know, whatever your definition of action is into this movie. You just don't enjoy it as no, an no, action no. movie. No, no, no. There's plenty of action movies I don't enjoy. Okay. Uh, there's a, most, most of them, all of the, like all the schlock I was watching in the nineties. Like <laughs> it's just this, this movie. I do, like he, I, this, I guess, oh, hold on. I guess Wes Anderson. Okay. He said, and, and whatever you said about him wanting, uh, this is his version uh, of an action adventure movie. Yeah. Okay. In the Wes Anderson cinematic universe, I will, uh, you know, uh, say that this is the closest he has come to making an action movie. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. You haven't. Seen I haven't that. seen it. Maybe but, that yeah. is. Maybe that is. Closer, That's an right? action adventure movie as well, sure. without a doubt. Sure. <laughs> um, but like again, and I and side note, I do think there is a difference between an action movie and an action adventure movie. Okay. Uh, sure. It, I I just don't think the genre boundaries as you're describing them are as rigid as you're saying they are, and I think this movie full can can both exist within the category of action adventure, which I think it does wholeheartedly. Again, it's, it's literally semantics because y- you yeah. these these definitions are fluid. Yeah. Um. But, I just but you, don't but, think. But it you're does. saying this is not that. Yeah, I'm saying this at best is uh, adventure film because they do things broken up by slower things. Like it's just, I, I just wonder if you're taking that point because you were bored by it. No, I've, I've been bored. Okay. Let's go down the list of movie, like action movies. I've been bored with. Okay. I mean, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think of one now. <laughs> You've never been bored by an action. movie. No, I have, but then I just forget about them much like you do when you're bored with like something. Transformers. Uh, sure. Sure. But no, uh, yeah. I, I, is that the third one? I think it's, a, it's the one where, the third and the fourth Transformers, I couldn't tell you. The apart. second one, I'm pretty sure I got bored. Second one, I was pretty bored with too. Yeah. Uh, still had Megan Fox, so I was still there. Uh, <laughs> okay. But the uh, it, it's just like I don't. Those movies are definition action, big nonsense films, and I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like okay. it's just it's whatever. Again, I feel like we're we're, we're losing too much time with this. You're not going to convince me it's an action movie to me. Okay, uh, and I'm not going to convince you it's not an action movie to you. Okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about something that uh, actually came up a lot uh, in our Guardians podcast. Okay, um, let's talk about the music. 
Yes, because we had an interesting conversation with Darren, who was on, who wrote us in on that last yeah. episode. And, and you he, got you and Darren shots fired on Facebook. That was great. You guys had a little little chat. We had a, we had a little. T- uh, there was a little back and forth. Shout yeah. out to D Money. Uh, yeah, Mr. For, Darren Burton. Yeah, no, and it was great, actually. I really enjoyed that conversation uh, where we basically, uh, Matt, you know, obviously you guys aren't tuned into our Facebook, but uh, Darren wrote in, I responded, we went back and forth for maybe 20, 30 minutes citing films that we love and the reason why um, song choice shouldn't be tied to popularity or should be tied to popularity. I was just eating popcorn the entire time like Mr. Peepers with an apple. And it was funny because it went on for like 20, 30 minutes and then Matt chimed in I, right at the Because I read it all, I read because it happened and I only caught live like the tail end of it. So I was just reading the slew and it got, it got a little, uh, little pokey. I don't think it got heated. I think it was, uh, I think it was a pleasant con. I was, I was enjoying it. Okay. I well, maybe I, from a third party perspective, it <laughs> sounded like you guys were throwing down. I just liked it. I thought it was great. Um, throwing and by throwing down it, you know, as far as film nerds go, this is it. This yeah, is, this is it. it. I mean, this is the equivalent. This is the, the pushes his can, glasses yeah. up his nose yep. and kind of stares at the t- keyboard yep. angrily. Yep. Oh God. Uh, so, so here's the deal. So, uh, I went to go see guardians again. Okay. Oh, side note, side note to this side note. I saw it in 4DX. Okay. Have you ever done any of that nonsense? Uh, I have uh, heard about 4DX. Never go. 4DX seems to me like something I would enjoy maybe for 10 minutes in the right context. Never. Like at the Epcot Center. Never, never go. Because at least at Epcot Center, it's built for that. The, yeah. the, the thing you're watching is made for it. Yeah. Holy shit. Is this the most distracting, nonsensical garbage you pay extra for. The only reason we went is because it was the only time that my friend could see the movie. So there was the only one playing and we didn't even know when we got there. We're like, oh shit. Yeah. Wow. What I wonder is who's that marketing towards who asked for that? I know the answer. No one. It's I pray that dies a quick and painful death. Anyway, it it it's in it comes from a long line of history of cinema tricks to try and keep, keep people, people in theaters. In, in yeah, theaters. 3D, you know, like smell a vision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Every they try to do smell in it and yeah. everything just tastes like burnt chemical or smells like no matter what it is like, oh toast, burnt chemical. Oh elephant, burnt chemical. Oh, like it's just it's awful. And do you want to smell the movies? I, I don't know. Yeah. No. Immersion is oh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, see, we saw guardians. Okay. I want to double down based on seeing guardians and seeing life aquatic. I want to double down, uh, aquatic, sorry, (laughs) aquatic. Um, I want to double down on my guardians. Use of music is perfect. Um, perfect. It's pretty fucking close because I noticed a couple different things in it that really like, so if you hold these two movies sort of next to each other musically, as I did in our guardians review. yeah. Yeah. Um, I was trying to find the tie. So a lot of the music in, in, uh, in this film we're reviewing today are Portuguese covers of David Bowie. Along with David Bowie. Along with David Bowie. Yes. And, and, and other, th- there's a couple there's other, a couple. Things, yeah, other yeah, yeah. things as well. Um, the covers in particular, I feel like one or two of them might've tied into sort of what was going on, mm-hmm. but the, but after a while it just felt like, Oh, it's time for another Portuguese David Bowie song. Like that's what this one character, this weapon specialist does like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, here's a gimmick for a gimmick. And I was trying to tie in. I was like, okay, I was like, okay, hold on. I was like, let's, and I rewound it at a couple parts. And I was like, why is he playing spiders from Mars here? Okay. Spiders from Mars. Is that the song? Uh, life on Mars? Li- <laughs> uh, Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy. Okay. Uh, the, yeah, it's called spiders from Mars. Is that the song? I'm thinking yeah. of life on, life on Mars. Uh, I'm like, okay. I, and I was trying to tie it in with like the moment and I just, and maybe look, I, I'm sure there's meaning to it. 
I was looking for the meeting and I couldn't find it. Again, that's my, that's on me. But then I look at something like guardians and I, I purposely, while I was watching it, getting punched in the back by these robot hands. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to focus in on the usage of why certain songs when mm-hmm. you she hear your argument about uh, father and son uh, spoiler alert for guardians of the galaxy uh, at a very sad poignant moment. Mm-hmm. At first I kind of agreed with you. I was like, Oh, that's kind of over the top. Yeah. Uh, but it works entirely narratively and thematically. He's playing that off of a zoom that his father figure got him after a tragic death of a father figure. Of course, star Lord is going to go to that song and be like, Oh shit. Yeah. Boop. Cause he, that's exactly Cause that's how that scene starts. It doesn't just start playing. He starts listening to it and then it transcends throughout the scene of this sort of funeral. Okay. So that to me, I was like, I didn't, I completely forgot the first time I saw it. I was like that, that, that that's how it started. I thought it was just playing in the background. Okay. Um, so I noticed little bits like that throughout that maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, like, uh, because uh, let me, sorry, let me just finish my thought. Okay. And maybe it's because guardians, I start to enjoy with my sort of lizard brain part of me. Mm-hmm. And then when these sort of things happen, it's an easier trigger to get to like my emotions. Cause I, I just, I don't know. There's something about it that trick that, that switches, flips that switch easier. I couldn't find, I found it in like, maybe like 30% of uh, life aquatic. Okay. Uh, I just didn't, I didn't get it a lot. And I remember you using that as sort of a, as an example of, of usage. So do you have, do you have specific moments in so, life so aquatic? The, the, the specific correlative moment that you're talking about is, that I think would line up exactly with, uh, the guardians of the galaxy volume sure. two is the way is Ned Plimpton's funeral. When Ned Plimpton what died, was playing them? Uh, it was a song called the way I feel inside by the zombies. And what I love about this is that this is a song about someone trying to express the way they feel feel without but 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 having to hide it inside and it, and it met to me it matched the sentiment that zisu had now, now was, what, zisu, was zisu, zisu george uh playing no no it, it or was just playing in the background this was playing was it playing on a speaker or was it just playing it was, as a, it was as, diegetic as it was diegetic music, okay um or extra diegetic I, no extra diegetic Ooh, music. extra diegetic yeah now uh, it's extra diegetic so it doesn't it doesn't originate from the diegesis of the film it's yep. originates from the uh, Ooh, outside i like your emphasis on that syllable <laughs> that's that's what i do um and so, so you're talking about the correlation between uh, father and son, the Cat Stevens song at the end when when Yondu has passed away and and Peter Quill realizes you know that this was my father, yeah, not not the star, you know, the Kurt mm-hmm. Russell character, and, and and that song also deals with a father that was not there, uh, was kind of a bit abusive and kind of it, it fits perfectly. It fits perfectly. Here's the thing: my my only issue with that is it's a very familiar song. It is though it is as though they. Oh, posed, I forgot about this. That argument. It's a, it so it doesn't resonate with me. It, it's a very familiar song. It's and, and when I say familiar, father and son is used has been used in commercials. And, and I understand and, that, but I feel like this is the best, and I've heard it. This is the best usage of it that I've heard. I'm just saying, if you know that this song is widely known, except just just for example, if you know this was some one of the points that we talked about yeah, in yeah. the. Uh, um, uh, in the conversation with yeah. Darren, uh, if you knew that uh, a Mariah Carey song was the perfect fit for the song, but it's a song that's so widely known and used, you might try to f- alter the way it's being used. The zombies, the way I feel inside is not, a, is not a popular song. And I think the way it's used there where it's not a literal one-to-one relationship with what's happening on screen. But you just described it as a literal one-to-one no, relationship ex- about, about heartbreak and not knowing what the- it's expressing a sentiment, but it's not about being a father and son. It's, I mean, the song is about a two lovers. And it's not, you know, and, and where's the father but it's and son? about loss and emotion. Yeah. But the father and son is literally about father and son. I'm just saying that to me that that doesn't, 
it not only does it not resonate, the fact that the way that song's used actually takes me out of that moment. See, because I it's just, such I, a it's su- it's such a widely used song. I know that that's entirely but this is subjective thing. as you, well. A, a part of your argument I agree with because look, music is subjective and everything. Yeah. But but the when you say things like because that song is widely used, your pretension is showing. Like, How is that pretension? Because you're you're Are literally you that I cannot say that a song is so widely used that 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 it doesn't do anything for me in the movie. I, is that no 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 no. You can say any song doesn't do anything for you. That's fine. That's an opinion. And that's something that neither of us can sort of go with. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is you, I I personally can't see a a form of art that, that I'm like, Oh, well that's been, but if it, if it resonates, this wasn't an action movie because you decided it wasn't, is that a form of pretension? No, but let me finish my thought. (laughs) I can go back to that. The, but what I'm saying is when you see something that resonates with, I've never, here, this is my point. I've never seen something and had it resonate with me and then been like, Oh no, that's too popular. And I don't think you honestly have either you, this, this song in this, it didn't resonate with you in this moment, but I don't think I, I, I just, I can't see from a logical perspective to be like, say this, I want to uh, say this song, the zombie song mm-hmm. was a popular song. Let's just say it was it might, might very well have been. Let, yes. Let's say it, it, it is. And it's well known. It's just as well known. Okay. Does that take away from the moment that you felt in this movie because it would have been popular? I would argue. No. Okay. So, so my, yeah, my no, your is, argument is if I knew that song very well, then would I, and it had been used in commercials and whatever. Here, and, here, here's, and here's the reason why that popular thing uh, actually does mean something for me. Okay. Is there that, uh, is that, is that the way in which the zombies, the way I feel inside is used in the life aquatic is so uniquely tied to this film that the only way I can think of that song from now on is the life aquatic. If another filmmaker goes ahead and uses that song I'm only going to think about it in the life aquatic, just in the same way when uh, little green bag is used by sure, Tarantino. Sure. It's so uniquely tied to that film. So I, and I think the thing with father and uh, a song like father and son is that it is so uniquely tied to so many other things that I have seen that it doesn't really do anything additional. Now to me, what it does is kind of in line. And, and, and I, I said even in that podcast that, that I think, um, James Gunn's music choices are good. They're very good, but they don't, I'm not going to listen to father and son and think about guardians of the galaxy ever again. I'm going to listen to father and son and think about father and son because it's been, it's a song that is so uniquely tied to so many other things. Sure. But just, just because it doesn't change your, your wheelhouse of what you think about from a song. But, but here's, and this is my point here is that, is that if, you know, like, uh, and, and if you remember uh, Darren's original email to us was that this James Gunn is the best filmmaker since Tarantino to use music in a film. Sure. I don't think that's the case because I don't think there's many examples in, I mean, even, even, even James Gunn's most popular moment in Guardians of the Galaxy one, which uses a song from a Tarantino movie. It's so tied to that. It was in the trailer, the stuck in the middle with you. Oh, I don't remember that. Um, I don't think that's in the awesome mix one. I I don't recall, but it's so, uh, there's very few moments that are going to be so uniquely tied to that film. And that's, and that's my issue. I think James Gunn does a very fine job, but to me, it's almost a little bit, it's kind of in the same ballpark as what was done in Suicide Squad where they're picking the right song. Oh, no, but no, it no, just no, feel, no, no, but, no, but, no, no, Because even in Suicide Squad, the songs didn't feel like the moment. The songs felt like the first 30 seconds to 20 seconds of a music video that had nothing to do with actually what was going on. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up a quote from uh, the 2005 review of um, Life Aquatic. Sure. Uh, A.O. Scott. Uh, the, um... 
But he's talking about uh, this, uh, about Wes Anderson, another filmmaker. He says, they both also understand the sublimity of well-chosen pop music can impart on throwaway moments. The seaborne contrivances of life aquatic may feel, make you feel a little queasy, but the soundtrack is impossible to argue with. It consists mainly of early David Bowie songs, Queen Bitch, Space Oddity, Five Years, and the like, sung samba style in a lilting Brazilian Portuguese by Sue Zords. Like much else in the movie, these seem to come from another world. Watch it, one which is small, crowded, on its own skewed terms, oddly perfect. And I think what he's talking about there is the sense that, for example, I don't think anyone else could use Sue George's version of um, Life on Mars and not have you think about the life aquatic. I don't think it, it's so uniquely tied to this film where only this film connects those two things. Okay. Another example. But let of this, me ask you this then. This which, is- just before that, there's one more example of this that I think one of the best cases of music choice in a recent film at the end of 127 hours, Danny Boyle, yeah. uh, or even, even born slippy. It's hard to talk about born slippy, the underworld song and not think about Train spotting. So let me. It's, yeah, it's I, impossible I get, to talk about. I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah, festival so by Sigur Ross. For, for you, and I'm going to say this in slightly harsher terms, that we can knock it back. Okay. Uh, for you, the fir- the 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 person that gets there gives you the first emotional response to a thing, is the one that's going to stick with you forever. Not necessarily so, because someone could change the meaning of a song by using it in an interesting Does, way. Now, hold on. Does the meaning... So, so, But hold on. So the only way that someone could use a song better in your mind than the first time you've experienced an emotional connection with it is if they use it changing the emotional connection with it. They couldn't... They could not do a better emotional tie-in on the same emotional chord. That's impossible. It has to do something surprising and change it for you. That, to me is the definition of what makes exceptional music choices. That's That, to me, is something that P.T. Anderson does. That's something that the Coen brothers sure. do. Sure. My I, definition I think, of exceptional I music choice is, James Gunn is does, the emotional revenance that it has with you. If it if it connects with you, that's great. And if it lands with you, that's great. Uh, I just, like, for example, for me, that father and son moment is a literal moment. And it's using a song that I associate and have, uh, it's hard to dissociate with that. It's, for example, if someone used uh, an artist who I really, you know, like, don't think works in movies, like Mariah Carey's here's it's an example we talked about on, on? on the Facebook thing imagine if a sex scene with Daredevil was played alongside Mariah Carey's vision of love you know, I had a vision of love and it was, I don't know the song. I'm sorry. It's one of Mariah Carey's number one hits from the nineties. Okay. It was a huge thing. It played on the radio for like 50 weeks or something like that. Okay. If daredevil used that song, you could argue that is the right choice. It is, you know, it's about a vision of love. But he's blind. But, 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 but he's you, blind. Oh my God, the irony. But would you argue that it's hard to like make a case that that is the perfect choice for that scene? I'm just saying, as an it, example. My, yes, and you, so but for, here's the thing. It could be the perfect choice for that be. scene. But it, but, and, and, and it being the perfect choice for that scene and it being what you remember when you hear the song are not mutually exclusive. It's not because it's a, it, music is one piece of art that film then uses in it to affect an emotion that you have in the film. And that I'm not disagreeing with that at all. Yeah. What I'm saying is the, the, to me, the definition of, or, or the boundaries of what makes music choices amazing and great is when a filmmaker chooses a song that is so uniquely tied to their vision, their visual storytelling. You need, them forever linked is really what it and again and, and not I'm not forever saying like forever, linked, but, I just, but just it, you, you need that link to exist so that in order for it to work on that level for you you need the first thing you think of when that song plays is that scene in the movie that's what it seems like and there are many cases of that I know I know but and, that's, and, but and, that's I'm, fine. and I'm just saying I, that I'm there saying, weren't many cases of that in Guardians of the Galaxy and I'm saying 
there's one or two of those for me, but even, but even the ones that aren't, yeah. I still think are masterfully used. He, like I said in that I podcast, anyway, he does a very we, good we've job. Been, we can go back and forth in the music stuff. We are running a bit long. Do we just want to get to sort of final thoughts about this? Or is there any, any other big moments about Life Aquatic that you wanted to touch on? Is it aquatic or aquatic? It's aquatic. <laughs> aquatic. <laughs> I can just My through. Boston is showing Life Aquatic. Yeah, I just, I keep hearing a duck. Pocket car. Murlocs. Um... I think uh, the ending of this film is extraordinary. That that moment, and, and also just the other thing is, this is the first time that Wes Anderson started had started using stop motion, which yep. became a big part of his. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's going to be a big part of his new film, Isle of Dogs. It even appears in in. Um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom and to some degree. Uh, and it was with Henry, uh, director Henry Selleck who went on to do, or who had done the nightmare before Christmas. Before oh this. yeah. So, um, Pumpkin I, King in the house. I love the animation style in this. I love this sort of colorful, fictitious animation style. It worked perfectly with the sense that, um, Wes Anderson is creating this like live action diorama. That's that, that to me, you know, like, um, if Rushmore was really about a, a playwright, I think the later films, of Wes Anderson is a playwright making feature films. They have, you can even see it in the sort of, um, uh, mise-en-scene style. There's this sort of two dimensionality to everything he does, you know, like he slides the camera only left and right or swings at 90 degrees. Um, so I love that kind of theatricality that Wes Anderson has gotten into. Um, as far as the emotional sentiment of Wes Anderson, the best way I've ever just made the connection in my brain is I think Wes Anderson is a live in many ways to me, he feels like a live action version, a live feature version of the sentiment of Charles M. Schultz, uh, who yep. did, did yep, yep. um, you know, uh, peanuts. And, yeah. No, I totally Charlie see Brown. that. That's a great analogy. Yeah. It just, I think that's the way it works. It, there's a, there's a dryness, um, to it, uh, a sort of cynical approach, but, but with a big heart, uh, at the end of it. And the, and the, the last moments of life aquatic with the tiger shark and with the, the final film festival scenes are, uh, to me, a real, real remnants of Charles, or you know, at least stylistically, of the emotional reasons that Charles M. Schultz uh, used to have. So that's that's kind of why, even though this is to me is a lesser Wes Anderson I got film, you. is why is I, I love it. I agree on the scene in the in the submersible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't agree with the the scene in the in the. It almost felt like a bit of a little tiny victory lap when they show the thing and it likes it, and then like the little kid comes out and then they all like run to the boat again. Like I just I. What I, what I liked about that is that it, it, it was clear to Zisu that the film wasn't important where, you know, like just the, the adventure was more important than the final product to him. And that's why he was sitting outside smoking a cigarette. He didn't really care to stick around. I get that. But then it was also a huge success. Of course, it's. I mean, if, that's, if it bombed and everyone was still happy and they went back to the boat, maybe I would see that. It might have bombed. It might have bombed. They no, people congratulate. Like they're all like happy and cheering and congratulating when they come out of the. I theater. mean, that's the arc of any. I understand. Know, so. I understand. But I'm. I'm saying for me that emotional weight or whatever didn't 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 hit me and tie me down. Um. Again. Again. I don't. This is this is my final thoughts. And if you want, you can sort of wrap. I think it up. I've got a. Okay. So this is sort of mine. Uh. And I feel bad because uh. I know Ben wanted us to do this, and I think he was hoping that. Uh, uh, we, well, you you loved it. You you, you, I, you I li- defended I, it well, sir. I like it, and I, but I do agree that it doesn't. Uh, it's not my favorite with yeah. Anderson movie. I I just think I've I've changed in in my tastes, maybe for the worse. 
and 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 uh, you know, I take that back because I don't, I don't, I honestly believe that. Um, I you just don't think believe that. I don't honestly believe my tastes have gone for the worst. I believe my <laughs> tastes have gone to what my tastes are. Okay, and that's not. But, but and, the, and I know, and I know, and I understand. Like the 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 running joke on here is like, oh, I'm the fucking Marvel guy. Like I I get that. Like yeah. I understand. But you can you know me, Shahir. <laughs> I'm pointing at you. <laughs> I'm not like. Uh, I'm not just like, oh, it needs to be Marvel or I'm not watching the movie. Like I like other films. Okay. It's just, and, and that's why, and I like weird films and I like art films and I like films that are purely emotionally driven. And I like uh, the pigeon sat on a branch, like, <laughs> you know, like, I, but for whatever reason, whatever resonated with me when I was young with this film is gone. It's, it's, it's shriveled up it's and died gone and, and for better or worse. And, um, I, I laughed at the jokes and I think the art direction is wonderful. And I think, um, the, the cinematography is great. Uh, the characters are fine, but what you said in the beginning of this really got me about how Rushmore and bottle rocket were like character character. And then Tannenbaum's are sort of like crazy world and still some character. This to me is just crazy world. Yeah. And I think as we've determined on this podcast, I'm a character guy. I need mm. strong, engaging characters that engage with me. Okay. These characters did not for whatever reason. Now I that I'm a 35, year old man so I, I don't know i i wanted to like it i as much as i remembered it and I, i'll report back once i see fantastic mr fox and then I, I, I would World love to actually uh sit down with you and watch fantastic mr fox yeah. i love that let's movie. do it let's make a date yeah i think we should have a date we don't spend enough time to get there. we don't <laughs> um we should really sit down and we know. really should yeah uh, uh ben, do not cut a hole in the popcorn bag <laughs> ben thank you so much thank for you, ben. we apologize that it's taken us so long i hope you've enjoyed our conversation as far as it's gone uh onto many different sidetracks yes. uh if you have any further questions for us please hit us up on twitter at only movie pod email us in only movie podcast at gmail.com go to our website only also we really appreciate those reviews on itunes so please give us a review or some stars and or subscribe that would be really helpful to getting uh the yeah, word out that there. would be wonderful and actually that 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 thing that she here just said doesn't just go for you ben that goes for anybody that wants to talk about this yeah. uh i think that'd be really fun uh yeah uh shahir when you are not uh defending uh, Wes Anderson films from an overly uh, rigid, analytical, rigid po analytical point of view. Where can folks find you? You can find me rigidly analyzing things on my website, uh, com. I haven't actually updated my blog in a while, which we used to have. I think my, my, my film thinking has gone onto our Facebook page. Yeah, which is enough. great. That's where I kind of yeah. blog about that now. I like it. Uh, Matt, yourself, when you're rigidly analyzing films that are only action adventure, only drama, only children's coming of age movies, where can people find you doing that? You can find me mashing all that shit together at matthewkroll.com that's m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l or you can find me on instagram at skeletor the number four p-r-e-z or on the twitter sphere at emperor msk uh shahir i now i know you love the music from this film uh i would like to say uh, just a shout out to mark mothersburg who actually scored the film there's an interesting uh video essay about why the marvel cinematic universe has non-expressive um non-expressive scores yes i've watched uh, that you've watched that yeah and and the one thing about this movie it has a delightful score by mark mothersborough who uh is formerly of devo the ping island lightning track is just amazing sure. i think everything is great um so uh, i, I don't just disagree with uh, i disagree with some of it not a whole lot of it you guys can watch it on youtube mm. um 
But it's a Tony Zhu, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Video uh, but for instance, like as I liked the score of this film, fine. But it definitely like it. It's fe- it had similar problems, not for the same reasons though, for me as the stuff that That's they call so strange the because score. I I cannot remember a Marvel score. The I can't remember me. this score. I just right. remember thinking when I was hearing, I'm like, this is pleasant. Right. Okay. Anyway, bye. bye.